You're listening to the Gender Reveal Party Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Pryor. This isn't your usual gender reveal party. There will be no baby sex parts. This is the real reveal, where we reveal gender through stories of brave humans willing to share their lived experience. Enjoy the listening. I sure enjoy making it. Hi, and welcome back to the Gender Reveal Party. I'm your host, Jay Pryor, and I am here today with one of my longest term mentors, friends, like I just can't, I'm so happy to introduce you to my friend, Ann Thompson Cook. And we have known each other for over 20 years now. Right? And we met in Washington, DC. And Ann is someone who, when we met, my memory is we met at a PFLAG, we met at a PFLAG meeting, and I had been asked to come to this PFLAG meeting to talk to some mothers of trans kids who were like in their, they were like 18, 19, or 16, 17, something, and I remember vividly that these moms were, and this was, you got, y'all have to remember, this is 99, 2000, something like that, and these moms we're having these kids transition and these kids were mad at them that they couldn't get their pronouns right or their name, new names right. And so essentially I went and talked to them and just asked these women to give themselves some grace because, you know, these kids have been thinking about this for a while and they're like, got to get used to it. Right. And, you know, eventually that to come around that because they, they were all trying really hard. Right. And so then afterwards you came up to me and you said something that at the time I did not understand right? And you said to me, I loved how you were being with them. And I didn't understand being when I met you. And so I was kind of like, okay, that's a cool thing to say. (laughs) It intrigued me a lot. And then we became friends. We started educating together. And that's when I heard your story. And for me, people, I'm introducing you to the OG ally of the LGBTQ community. Like you are, for me, the OG ally. Like you are the one who paves the road for all other allies of the LGBTQIA plus community. Jay, you I don't have know been what OG means. Original gangster is what it means, but it's like, <laughs> but it's like, um, but it's like when you use OG, it's like you're the original, like you're the, you're the first, like you're the original ally from so far back and so like when I met you and I'd found out that you had been an ally to queer people since like your kids were in elementary school right um it was mind-blowing to me I had never met somebody who was such a powerful ally and today we talk about allyship because now allyship is a thing that people are talking about in corporations and in like everywhere they're talking about allyship we talk about how allyship isn't talking about it. It's doing something about it. And you are the first person I ever met that was like really an ally, like really doing it. So, um, you know, like A, who you are for me personally is this human who's my friend and taught me so much about transformation in life and like who you are for our community. Holy smokes. (laughs) You like, you set the bar for allies 
that's who you are for me thank you for so, that thank you for coming to the show and allowing me to introduce my audience to you thank you i've been looking forward to this i'm i'm not someone who and normally agrees to sit on the hot seat <laughs> no you're not and that's another reason i really appreciate it <laughs> with, you, with you it's i'm just looking forward to our conversation yeah so would you share your story a little bit with our with our audience? Our my story about Allydom. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm 76. So when I started working on this was um, uh, 19 in the mid 1980s, and at that time. How long ago was that? Can you do the math? <laughs> yeah, so at, at I was, time, yeah, I was like 15. I, so yeah, I was like 40 some years ago, 35, 40, 45 so, years. Um, yeah, so at that time, as you said, my kids were in elementary school and pretty much everyone was closeted and I was completely clueless, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I... Um, I had had a friend in Chicago and we, that I was in a women's group with these are, I'm going to tell a couple of stories I never mentioned. Um, but she, we were in a women's group and she came out in the group as bisexual. And several years later, she told me that was the last meeting of the group. And she related it to her coming out as bisexual. And I, you know, I didn't know that. Right. And I also, you, I've probably never told you, I had, when I was a social worker in Chicago, we moved to DC in 79. So during the 70s, I was a social worker and I worked in a child welfare agency. And one of the things they offered there was adoption services. And I had this guy come in who said he was pregnant and wanted to put the baby up for adoption. And I had no language for what I, you know, I just like, I never, that was probably um, early seventies. Wow. And he came in, we had meetings and I never found out exactly what happened, but no one in the agency knew why this kid was visiting me. Because we were, you know, so apparently I was counseling a young black boy, teenager. And um, so, you know, I went to the hospital where he had an ultrasound and we confirmed that there was a baby. And I mean, I just like, I look back on how ignorant I was, but somehow he trusted me, do you know? So... Then in, um, when we got to DC, by the time we got to DC, I was starting to do, I was shifting from social worker to writer. And I got a job with a sexuality education research group. And um, uh, was doing editing and writing for them. I wrote uh, a guide to designing and implementing sexuality education programs for 
teens and adults or something like that. And in the process of that, I was I read a comprehensive book on sexuality, which introduced me to the concept of homosexuality as normal, which I, you know, up until then, I just, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so then the, the really pivotal thing was in the mid eighties when um, people started coming out to me and that you're right my kids were in elementary school then and they were telling me these stories of being rejected by their families and uh drug abuse and attempted suicides and pain and you know it's like coming out of the woodwork talking to me about these things there were several people and i'm i'm taking all this in and i don't have a i don't have a place to put it but i'm going but i'm you know, my, I have two boys and they're bringing their kids in and out of the house. And I find myself watching them and saying, one, one or more of these kids is likely to figure out that they're gay. By that time, I had some sense of this wasn't unusual and completely rare. <laughs> right, so yeah. Looking at these kids and saying, when they, whoever is gonna figure out that they're gay, is nothing has changed since these adults' lives that they've been sharing with me. And I just got this bug in my ear that I was supposed to do something about that. Like if nothing has changed, like I didn't, I wanted these kids to have a different experience and they weren't going to, because it was just like what they talked about. There was all this condemnation and fear about gay adults being pedophiles and recruiting children. (laughs) That's- yeah. That's where we were in the 80s. So I spent a few years kind of um, avoiding it and pushing it away and saying, no, not me. What do I know? And then, you know, it just, it kept happening. And I finally took it on and um, got involved with affirmation, which was, we were going to the Methodist church uh, that I introduced you to, Dumbarton. Mm-hmm. And um, they, uh, the Methodists, and most of the, in the mid 80s was when the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and the other denominations were figuring out that they needed to organize around this stuff. And um, so the Methodists decided that in 84 and in about 85 or 86, one of the people came to Dumbarton and said they would like us to consider being a a welcoming congregation. (laughs) That was really interesting because the the guy came to an annual planning meeting and made this request and the congregation agreed to take it into consideration and then nothing happened. And so I finally, you know, went to the church council chair and said, what's going on with this? And it seems like we should be having some kind of study. And I got involved in that and had, you know, the most of the people in the congregation were going like, why would we have, why would we talk about this? We don't have anybody who's gay in the congregation, you know, which wasn't true. Right. So that's when I really got started in earnest is through church work. And then 
they the Methodist group had a national conference, the, their first national conference, which I, David and I, my husband and I went to. And um, then I got asked to be on the board and over, you know, within a year or two, I mean, the, the co-founder of that group lived in DC and he would come over to our house and we would strategize about how to have this movement that no one knew how to do. Right. And then there was a meeting of a bigger meeting than that, where he was talking about none of the groups had any educational materials. And by that time, I have been writing educational materials on sexuality, on abortion, on breast cancer, <laughs> you know, things related to sexual health. Mm -hmm. Actually, and um, so I said, well, I could do it. So that was when I wrote the very first guide to sexual orientation. But, you know, in the during all of that, like what really stands out to me in those, especially in those early years is how many people were so generous of sharing their lives with me. Right. Like I didn't get up to speed by myself. Like right. I just was meeting people at the, you know, I was going to, one time I went, um, I was a closeted straight person at a gay health conference. <laughs> but I would put myself in position. That was the only time I was closeted. Usually people were sharing it with me because I seemed like, it, I guess it seemed to them like it was worth it. And then when I was writing the materials, I set up these advisory groups of really, really, um, special people who, you know, helped me know what needed to be said and how to frame it. And but that's so the that, thing that I mean, I, I don't want to. I just want to. I don't want to interrupt, but I want to highlight that I appreciate that you you are like you know highlighting these other people. But that's the whole point of allyship is like you put yourself in those positions, and you went and sought out their experience and didn't speak for them. You know what I mean? It's like there's this world of allyship now that people are pondering like how do I be an ally I don't know how to do it and that's when I, I mean you've been doing it so beautifully for so long and everything you're speaking to is like if you, for folks who are looking for a textbook how to be an ally this is this this is this is it right here <laughs> right so I don't I want so you to get back to your story <laughs> one other piece is that when I wrote the first book the first guide, which was uh, on sexual orientation, I literally had the words that everybody is born male or female. Right. And that that book was published in January 1991. Oh. And then I began to realize after that, it was when I began to realize, wait a minute, like in kindergarten playgrounds, when kids are getting when kids are getting teased you know, and you're gay and ick and stuff. It's not because of how they were being sexual. It's about how they were being gender, yes. how they were being boys or girls. Yeah. And I realized I had a lot to learn about that. Like I just really, it was not on my radar. So then I, um, I started asking questions. Like I knew people like, um, Kathy Renna, for example, you may know, was a 
she's a communications specialist long time and she dressed in boys clothes I think I think she was and is female identified, but I haven't kept up with that. So I talked with a lot of people like that and they were very, you know, I just said, I need to know more about this. And I talked to enough people that one time there was a United Church of Christ Washington office had a senior person who was probably fifties or I don't know how old, but starting to come out as trans as a trans woman selectively and mostly presenting as male but starting to let people know that wasn't actually who i am mm -hmm. so that person got wind of what i was up to trying to educate myself and uh this was i mean just so useful introduced me to this group that was meeting at a Unitarian church, like on a weekday evening and people would come and dress uh, in um, the bathrooms and then they would have a meeting and no one got to come to these meetings, very confidential and private. And this person from the UCC had vouched for me and allow they allowed me to come to their meetings and just listen. And that's all I did was just listen. And I had a lot of, you know, that opened up a lot. Like I started Gosh. going to some gender conferences and you know, it's really helpful. Like I did the same thing with the African-American community when I was working on trying to alter, like I was executive director of a national organization on abortion rights that was, um it was by design basically a white organization and i was trying to change that picture from a historically white organization to one that represented i was saying to the board we can't fulfill our mission this way as a white organization right so i was talking with a lot of especially african-american women about what are the barriers to your participation in this and the narrow focus on abortion was a barrier. The top leadership of white people was a barrier. So I just set about to change all that. But in the meantime, I started going to places where I was one of the few white people. And I was listening to what the conversation is when it was mostly black people. You know, it's the same thing with the gender and the same thing with the gay. So I had to, I had to, after I uh, wrote and published the book on gender difference, I went back to the one on sexual orientation and revised it. So it didn't say everyone, you know, I had to tease out for the reader, this is sexual orientation, this is gender, they, you know. But do you know where things are now? I mean, those, those guides are so out of date for what people are actually revealing as like you about um, the journey of it all and, you know, you the think? gender. I mean, well, first of all, I wanna make sure our audience understands that like the books, at least the guides that I'm, what you're referring to are uh, very pointedly for congregations, right? For church conversations, which I think still, especially in certain parts of the country are still in 1988. 
you know, like there's still a lot of them that are still in that conversation. Um, and it feels like we're moving backwards in our country sometimes yeah, too. Um, and churches are the place, and you and I've, you know, I've said this and we've talked about it. Like for me, the other reason that your work is so important is because it focuses on church and church, you know, having my religion literally the, how I felt like it was just taken away from me was one of the most painful things for me about coming out, like coming out as a, as a lesbian when I did um, in the mid eighties, I came out in 1985. And so, you know, I had, of when I had a priest tell me you cannot take communion to somebody who is diehard Catholic like me, you basically just said you're excommunicated and ripped my religion away from me. Um, and so having congregations actually have this, have this and meeting a congregation that was welcoming, you know, I think you're saving lives and reuniting families with that. And I still think it's a viable resource for a lot of people. Um, so I don't know if you have that experience or not, but yeah, no, I, I get it. The, I mean, that's why I, I did all the work in the context of religion is that was the problem. <laughs> right. Like, religion is the problem. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not that churchy as you know. By right. Now. Exactly. Like, You're not a church person even really. So, but I, um, I did dwell in that arena for a long, long time educating. The, um, yeah, I mean, there. What I was referring to was more the experience of people about gender is more nuanced and more complicated than what I was hearing from people when I was doing that writing. Right. So it's not that the audience, like the audience, is still struggling with. I just don't understand. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, 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 I get it now. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other thing, Jay, like I did write it with cisgender straight people in mind. Yeah. But right. the feedback that I've got, like you, like the feedback that I've gotten from non cisgender, non hetero um, people who picked up the book and said, I found this when I was really struggling to figure out about myself and it just, yeah. you know, it set me on a journey. And, but, and as you said, the families, like one trans woman um, said she had been sending materials to her dad for several years and he wouldn't talk to her. And she sent him my the maiden guy's image was the one on gender and right. uh, she sent him that and he picked up the phone and called her and said I'd like to come visit you so like for it to did you hear this story before no that's a brilliant one I mean I've heard a lot of your stories but I hadn't heard that one yeah, yeah. that was very moving for me and that was yeah. why why I wrote the gender one is that people were using articles scientific articles and medical articles that appeared to validate but it didn't move people off where they were right you know it's like it didn't uh it didn't make a difference which right. is why i felt like after i'd i'd spent so much time with people around the gender ex the experience they were having of gender 
and I was had a, a lot of conversations with people about those experiences that I had been, you know, gifted with. Yeah. And um, I kind of knew what made a difference and where where people were stuck and what was what were the barriers to their kind of opening the door for that experience. Mm -hmm. So that's what made it possible to write those because I was bridging. Right. Well, and that's what an ally does because you're in the you're in the community that has the power <laughs> to bridge, right? And so being a cis, you know, heterosexual white woman, like you had that power and you used that power for good. And I think that's where we're right now as as queer activists, we're trying to empower or part of our goal is to empower all people who have power, <laughs> right? To be allies, whether we're white allies trying to you know, being allies to um, people of color or whether cisgender people and or heteronormative people, you know, all of that, they, all of us have some point of power. And so, you know, what, yeah. what you've always done is use your point of power to be a bridge and to be of service and to save lives. Like those books, I can totally see how, you know, I know you wrote them for the, for the, for the congregation and for them to wake up but really i could totally see how if somebody had handed me man in god's image when i was 19 18 or 17 i might not have tried to kill myself like i had somebody else telling me that god still loves me that would have been a different conversation so that's where it's like yeah i know you're saving lives <laughs> when it gets in the hands of the queer people who have been told they're going to like i was that you're going to hell or whatever it is that God stopped loving you the minute you became a homosexual or something crazy like that. So, yeah. Thanks for the yeah, work. The thing was, I had to be told that. Like, I, I was doing um, workshops and stuff with gay and lesbian people who weren't necessarily, in the early days, who weren't necessarily outing themselves. And so I wasn't either. And my lesbian friends were going like, you have to say out loud who you are because that's part of the power of you being here. <laughs> right. So, I mean, though I had to be taught all those lessons. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now that's part of the, you know, ally, you could do an ally training in a second right? <laughs> because that's what's going on right now is there's lots of those kind of trainings out there now well, how to be an ally. Yeah, that, that's a word I resisted for decades. I mean, yeah, I'm say more about that. Letting you call me that, but... Okay, tell me more about that. Because, say more about that. Because I'm in it because this affects me. Like, right. it affects all of us. Right. Um, that, that this is going on. And yeah. so I don't experience myself as an ally. Like, I'm part of... I'm part of it. I'm part of yeah. the issue, but I, I get it. And, you know, when I first started, I did, I was impatient with people who were clueless, <laughs> having just been clueless myself. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, you. I, 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 so I was impatient. I was um, judgmental. I was uh, all the, you know, and that's the problem for an ally is like, to me, the most important thing is that I remember being clueless. 
So when I'm talking to somebody who's clueless, like that's, I'm just talking to myself, an earlier version of myself. Right. And I, I think that's, it's the same thing that ha is happening with race, anti-racism that mm -hmm. people get, suddenly get informed about our history and the way the systems participate in the outcomes that are so devastating and then they want to call people racist, which, you know, isn't helpful. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Definitely not helpful. But I mean, it's the same. It's the same process of having to find yourself, um, find a place to speak. And I think that another thing is curiosity. Like one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, what was constantly there for me in my commitment to change this picture was what is in the way um, for people who are being, who are condemning and, you know, uncomfortable and all this stuff, like what's in the way, like what, what, and what's missing? you know, the presence of which might make a difference. Like where, what would the door be that if you could open it, that people could actually be open to a new way of understanding or looking at something? Like I, those kind of questions, the curiosity that I was finally able to develop about what does it mean to move someone from uh one place to another what what makes change possible you know as something i've been curious because you've committed yourself to that um like to make change you know to be who you are to be very out there to ha have people know you you know and what is it that you see making a difference today the kind of difference that you're wanting to make where people can see that you and other people are part of the community are normal expressions of humanity you know like all that well the driving so, force for me has always been the same since i was 20 something and first sat on a panel and got opened up and like you know sharing my story um and that's love like just being able to love people. And I've definitely, you know, hit spots in my life where I couldn't be that. <laughs> you know, I definitely have had times in my life when I wasn't the one. Um, and so every time I do find an opportunity to express myself though in that way and doing my show in 2018, the Gender Reveal Party, you know, when I went off testosterone, that stuff just kept downloading in me. It was like, I could not not do that show like it had to be birthed in me it was an, a creative expression that just had to come out of me it, it was making me crazy so I just had to do it so then having the impact that I had in that show when I have people who have never been awake before watch my show and come up to me and say gosh, for the next week, I just saw gender everywhere. Like I'd never seen it before. It was like, I didn't even see 
things gendered and now they're everywhere. Like I just am awake in a totally different way. When that happened for me, it was like another opportunity for me to love because I was just sharing myself and being everything I could, you know, just telling the stories and making them laugh and being silly, but, you know, sharing myself powerfully. If I can make that kind of difference and shift somebody in an hour and 15 minutes, then I need to be doing that more. And it's not just my story that needs to be out there. It's other people. So, you know, for me, I'm always in this, um, uh, I cannot maintain myself spiritually and emotionally if I focus on all the hate and especially right now with all the trans kids legislation, I cannot. <laughs> emotionally, I cannot manage myself spiritually and emotionally if I focus on that. So I'm always focusing on what can I do then to just be the love and just be the, inf be the information that people can focus on and talk about rather than all the hate and everything else. So and for me, that driving force has always been there. And it's just been to love the transphobia out of people. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that helps me. Like what, what you did is this had impact. I'm going to do more of that. Mm -hmm. This affected people. They can open up to this when I, right? Yeah, and I saw that when I was 25 years old. Yeah. Or 24. I mean, you know, when I went back to college and the first time I sat on a panel and I started telling my story of being a suicidal youth and having people come up to me and like right away come up to me. And so I would say things like, because this was, we were back in the day too. It was just gays and lesbians. <laughs> like I was the lesbian on the panel. Right. And so I would say, now, you know, a lesbian, my name is Janet. And now, you know, my name. And it, and so if anybody ever says you, I don't know a lesbian, you say, I know a lesbian. Her name is Janet. And I would say this to people because people thought they didn't know us. They thought the gay and lesbian people did not exist. And so back then, my goal was just to love them enough to have them be and have them, you know, like share my story enough to have them be like, oh, they exist <laughs> and they're right among us and we can love them. And so that I mean, the very first time I ever shared that story and got that kind of feedback, it was like, oh, look at this. I can love I can be loved and be great with these people. And next thing you know, they're knowing, you know, and then I also had the opportunity because in that time on campus, Rock Chalk. Um, I, I remember my very first national coming out day telling my story in front on campus um, in Wesco Beach, like outside. And it was national coming out day. And we were just all telling our stories. And I told my story. And that night I was out at a club and I had this young woman grab a hold of my shirt. And I turn around and she says, you're Janet Pryor. And I said, yeah. She said, I heard you tell your story today on Wesco Beach at, on campus. And I said, oh, good. And she said, and then I, I thought, if you can do that on Wesco Beach in front of everybody, I can tell my mom. Yeah. And I was done. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, well, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my, I mean, I just knew right then and there, like, I, if I'm making that big a difference from just telling my story, we got to keep doing that. So it's really great. That's really great. Cause I, I think when you're talking about allies, like I had to be very strategic about like when I would have conversations with people, 
like what makes a difference here you know when i was writing i i was committed to sharing people's stories not by name but the kind of story that i was hearing right that and that made a huge difference so that <clears throat> that kind of storytelling went into everything i wrote right but um that workshop that you described saying like it was kind of the opposite for me because I there were men in the audience when I would, would give these workshops. You could see that their whole attention, and it would get confirmed later, their whole attention was on, well, is she lesbian? Right. Well, she doesn't look lesbian. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so she looks awfully feminine to be lesbian. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes yeah. they would be so bold as to ask me. Like I, you know, I just can't. They couldn't stand not knowing. Right. Right. Oh. Yeah. And now it's like you, they can't stand not knowing gender. I don't know if you saw my episode where I had um Pega Jimenez on and she has two children that she has not told the sex of to, and I people know. just can't I, handle it. <laughs> They're just, I can't handle it. It's yeah, and it's always been that way. Yeah, when my son, my younger son was in like 10th grade, he he had really beautiful auburn hair. It was kind of wavy and um, he grew it long. He wore loose clothing. And he, people would come up right into his face and say, well, are you a boy or a girl? And he wouldn't tell them. And they were... He would come home with these stories. He would play with people. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, he probably had an earring by then. Um, and it wasn't because of, I mean, I always experienced him. I don't know. It, it just like, it wasn't, he, it, there was nothing binary, nothing driving him about being gendered in the right way but that right. was 19 he was born in 77 so that was probably 1990 when that was going on yeah um, but uh, you know so it's still going on like right people, <laughs> yeah. people, people cannot hand yeah they just have to know yeah because then yeah. they have to know how to treat it right that's the thing they don't know what to do with it I, I live in a retirement community now and there's a woman who uh there's a i don't know whether it's a grandchild coming or a grandniece or some or a grandchild that's but she found out the gender was revealed as boy and the purple baby blanket she was knitting was going to have to be for someone else because she couldn't give a purple baby blanket to the baby boy. Why? I know. <laughs> that doesn't make any no, sense. No, I'm just saying it's like, 2022. Oh I know, we're time. still doing it, right? Yeah, I know, still. This is why we're here. <laughs> yeah. So I anyway. want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of your books and how to get a hold of you and Thompson Cook. Is it anthompsoncook.com? There is an Ann It. I have an executive coaching website that I've just kept up. Okay. Um, you can get more information about me there. And the materials 
we didn't mention that I, I ended up real, uh, hooking up with a black minister named Reverend right. C.J. Carmen. And we created Many Voices, uh, which is a black church movement for gay and transgender justice. Nice. So I got back into the church work because I, it was sort of like stepping back 30 or 40 years because that the work hadn't happened there. Right. And uh, Reverend Cedric was extremely, do we have a minute for me? To oh yeah, we got this? plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. So um, DC had brought up gay marriage and a black bishop had come to the city council and said, the black church is never going to stand for this. And Cedric, Reverend Cedric and the Dean of Howard Seminary Divinity School and another minister got together and said, no, 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 we're not gonna do it like this. And Reverend Cedric went all around all eight wards of DC and talked to ministers who were involved with justice issues and asked them to either support or to stand back from the gay marriage thing. And he had these amazing conversations where people would say, well, I can't do that. I'm working on a school to prison pipeline or I'm working on affordable housing. And Reverend Cedric was, would help them see that um, black gay and transgender people were the most impacted in those very areas. They right. were in more trouble than anybody mm -hmm. in the community. And then they would start getting that and then they would say, but what would I, how, how could I say, like, what if people say, how can you be a Christian and support that? Or how, what about the Bible? And he would just work with them and walk them through. And so he got a group of black pastors. Some of them said, well, I'll just stand by. I won't oppose it. And others came in to the city council and were gracious to the bishop I mean, he, so he, he had already shown how powerfully effective he was in the, with the black church. So we created this black church movement. And of course he was doing the work. I was doing the background work and we had, we worked together on the writing because that was, you know, which made it fun for me. Sure. So where our, where the guides are is at manyvoices.org. There you go. Um, in the shopping area, which, um, so we made black, cause we made black church versions. So we, the most updated guides that have my name on them are black church versions of the sexual orientation and the gender. And then we created a bunch of cards that I love. Do to show them to us? I have a couple. One's called the Bible and LGBT. Can you see it? Yeah, you can. That's beautiful. We'll also put, uh, yeah. we can put these in the show notes and put links. Yeah. One's about God. One's about something else. Um, nice. But when, when a black gay or um, genderqueer trans person would see these, like they would read it and then you would see tears because it, these these materials were the first time they had seen themselves yeah. in anything related to gay or, or transgender. Yeah. 
So it's been, that's been very powerful, but that's, I have been trying to figure out if any of your viewers know how to help me get these things on Amazon. Like they were on Amazon, but then Amazon changed the, the way it does its marketplace. And I haven't been able to get them up there. Not that I'm still working. I retired a few years ago, but that's kind of one of my, <laughs> one of the things sister. I can't let go until I succeed at that. There you go. Because people are go. looking for them. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And they're such, such important. That's such important work. The God stuff is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for being here. I love you so much. I'm so grateful to get to introduce my audience to you. You're also just one of my friends and mentors forever. We're 20 years apart. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being in my life. Any last words you want to share with our audience? I, nev I never felt like I was a mentor. Like oh, that, that I just don't even recognize. I'm glad if, if you learn something from me, I've certainly learned a lot from you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I learned from you every time I talk to you. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Gender Reveal Party podcast. I hope you loved it. And if you did, would you take a second and go do all the things like subscribe, rate, review, tell all your friends. Apparently, if you do that, the podcast platforms are more likely to share it. And if you think these stories are important, please take three minutes to just go do that. I'd really appreciate it. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm at the Gender Reveal Party. And on Twitter, I'm at Prior J. It's a real joy and privilege to bring you this podcast. Come back soon. Love you. Bye. <laughs>